This is the Dancepreneuring Studio Podcast, session number 185. Gene Kelly, The Legacy. Hello there, and welcome to session number 185 of the Dancepreneuring Studio Podcast. I'm Annette Bone, and the Dancepreneuring Studio is the place where dance inspires life and business. I get the joy and the privilege of sharing my journey back into the dance world after a 20 plus year hiatus, the lessons I've learned, the transformation I've experienced, and the wonderful creatives I've met along the way who also share their stories, their ideas, strategies, and tactics to help move your life and your business forward. I'm beyond excited to share this conversation I just had with the incredible Patricia Ward Kelly, who is the wife of dance icon extraordinaire, amazing person, Gene Kelly. Yes, that Gene Kelly, the Gene Kelly. Oh my goodness, what a wonderful opportunity for me to get some more information and things that people have misconceptions about, about his career, the way he operated, his artistic approaches. And she'll go much more into that in a very special performance, one woman show that she's doing this Saturday, October 6th at 2 p.m., and 8pm at the Torrance Cultural Arts Center. I'm going to link the information in the show notes at AnnetteBone.com forward slash 185. I'm so honored that I get to share this conversation with you. If you are in the greater Los Angeles area, I highly recommend that you come to this. If you're a Gene Kelly fan, if you only know a little bit about him, he shaped dance film like no other. So Oh my goodness, film, dance, choreography, amazing. So I'm going to link all the information again in the show notes. But again, Saturday, October 6th, Torrance area, Torrance Cultural Arts Center, South Bay area, 2pm, 8pm, Gene Kelly, the legacy behind the scenes with Patricia Ward Kelly as she takes us through this amazing journey that I'm so looking forward to. So without further ado, here is my wonderful conversation with Patricia Ward Kelly. I hope that you take advantage of this amazing opportunity coming up to watch this show. Hi, this is Patricia Ward Kelly. I'm the wife and biographer of the legendary dancer, Gene Kelly. I hope all of you will join me for my upcoming show this Saturday, October 6th at 2 p.m. and 8 p.m. at the Torrance Cultural Arts Center. It's called Gene Kelly, The Legacy, and it's a very personal look into the life and work of my late husband. You're now listening to another session of the Dancepreneuring Studio with Annette Bone. Now that you're warmed up, get ready to go full out with our feature presentation. To say that I am excited to introduce my special guest today would be an understatement. Why? Because I'm about to have a conversation with the wife of legendary dancer, director, and choreographer, Jean Kelly, the amazing artist who gave the world iconic works such as An American in Paris and Singing in the Rain. Patricia Ward Kelly, besides being Gene Kelly's wife, is a biographer and film historian, and she's been featured in numerous media outlets. She has presented her sold-out one-woman show called Gene Kelly, The Legacy, An Evening with Patricia Ward Kelly, where she guides the audience on an unforgettable journey into the life and heart of the man who changed the look of dance on film and became one of the world's most beloved stars. Her show has gotten outstanding reviews. Sony Pictures said, a -a one-of-a-kind, out-of-this-world event. Broadway World described it as superb. 
Entertainment Tonight called it truly personal, a rarity. And the Hollywood Reporter said it's endearingly entertaining. I am so elated to welcome Patricia Ward Kelly to this podcast. Hi, Patricia. How are you doing? Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for including me. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm so excited. You know, since our conversation a couple days ago, I've just been so happy reflecting on it and learning more about the production and what's coming up. And I'm truly honored to be able to talk about it on the podcast and help promote it. I am really interested in your upbringing. I know that you come from a very modest upbringing, and I was curious what sparked your interest in studying English with the focus on Herman Melville. Oh, well, that's an interesting question. Yes, I grew up in a in a place called Fort Collins, Colorado, and my father was a professor at the university there. He was a plant ecologist before ecology became kind of an in thing. And so it was a very academic background. And I went off to undergraduate school at a wonderful liberal arts college called Colorado College. And it had, it was the first college in the nation to have what was called the block plan. So you only studied one course at a time. And it was very intensive for three and a half weeks. And it worked very well for me. I like to do that kind of intensive work. And I started out as a biology major. I was very intent on being an environmental lawyer. So I thought I would combine law and biology. And I ended up taking one course. It was on Herman Melville. And because of this block plan, it allowed, uh, you could basically study anywhere. So 12 of us flew to Chicago to work in the Herman Melville collection at the Newberry Library there in Chicago. And I absolutely fell in love with it. I fell in love with the dedicated research and the detailed research and immediately came back and switched my major from biology to English. And that became, that's what I thought I was going to be, was a Melville scholar. I started after after I graduated, I went back to the Melville collection, and I was helping to edit the authoritative texts of Herman Melville. And I always say I was the really nerdy kid, and I was the kind of girl who got very excited about a semicolon. And <laughs> it was really good experience, uh, I found, because then when I ultimately met Gene, and he brought me out to California to write his story, that that, that training had prepared me. One of the first things that the professor in Chicago said to me He said, never trust the printed word, and it just stayed with me. And when I came out here to California, I realized that so much of the information about Gene and many others is very inaccurate, and that what you see in books and what you find on the Internet is is largely based on falsehoods. And that was one of the things that drove Gene crazy. He he hated that there was all this misinformation out there about him, and that was one of the reasons he brought me in to try to tackle this. And so I, I went back, based on my Melville research, I went to all the primary sources. So I went to the University of Southern California to work in the Arthur Freed collection there and to study all of the MGM records and 
production notes and things to verify what Gene was saying. So it was a great background, but quite a switch from Melville to come out to Hollywood. Yes, I really enjoyed uh, reading this article about how he taught you how to walk and stand and you were so naive to what was going on in the movie industry because you didn't know you didn't even know who he was. And here he was this big star and you had no idea and you were just interested in what you were interested in. And you guys had that commonality. And I found it very fascinating with um, you reciting poetry to each other and being excited about etymology and that kind of thing. And the interesting thing about the mixed conception that um, you told me about how people think that he was only a tap dancer and that he didn't like or study other dance forms. Can you talk a little bit more about that, how his approach and how he approached other different dance styles and his thought processes on that? Well, I think that's one of the things that was one of the reasons I created this show in the first place. I wanted to, in part, it was a celebration of what would have been his 100th birthday in 2012. And I created it for the Academy of Motion Pictures. And they often did a tribute to the legends. And I went to them and asked if I could create this because one of the things that always struck Gene and definitely strikes me is the very limited way that people have looked at his career and his contributions and often don't realize, some people don't realize that he was a classically trained ballet dancer, he was a Spanish dancer, he was an acrobat, he was a gymnast, uh, he could walk a tightrope and really encouraged everyone to study all forms of dance and he felt that that was the way that you could play particular roles that, for example, in The Pirate, he he doesn't do tap dancing because it doesn't fit the time or the, the period or the location, and it doesn't, wouldn't propel the story that way. So he he was he just was this immense mind he was the so bright and he he really felt that you needed to study everything and not only all forms of dance but also history and literature and art and politics and economics he was an economics major in college and that that this broad background would give you what you needed to tell the stories and so it's been really fun to share that and begin to share that on things like the Gene Kelly, the legacy Facebook page, as I begin to put out little bits of information. People I think are very surprised. I read their responses and they're surprised at the breadth of his knowledge and the breadth of his contacts with other people that he was friends with John Kennedy. He was friends with, sports figures, uh, poets like Carl Sandburg, and he just, he covered this really from A to Z, and and that's what's, that's what's really fun, and I think that those are dimensions that people just don't, don't readily know about him. Well, I certainly did, didn't know that about him, and my first exposure to him was actually in the movie Xanadu, <laughs> so <laughs> I was, yeah, I loved that scene with him and Olivia Newton-John, and I, he just, he gave this feeling of ease and grace and like um, it's been described with the athleticism. And I love that you brought up the Facebook group because there were two posts that I want to talk to you about. The first one is um, 
I'm a big believer that you are what you hang around. And you posted an image or you had someone post an image. I don't know if you do the direct. Uh, direct I do uh, it all. That's, okay. <laughs> I, I'm the so if people wonder about that. They wonder who is responding and who's uh, who who's speaking. And it is I. I really uh, you know, I imagine that in time it will be difficult for me to do it, but I really try, it's such a personal thing and yes. I'm really trying to make sure that that people understand his voice and that it, uh, and I also have a lot of fun with it. I, ha- I have to admit, I was absolutely petrified to go on Facebook. I just thought it was going to spiral out of control, but it's been this wonderful way to begin to connect with people and the responses uh, that come up are just amazing and really so fulfilling. They're just, they, it's people say thank you for the post, but for me, it's actually, I'm grateful because people take the time to read them and to respond so thoughtfully. Yes, it's um, social media is an interesting character. It can be used very well. And then other times it's a little bit crazy. But I'm glad that you're finding that you're having a really enriching experience from it, because I think that's what it's designed for. And what I was saying about you are who you hang around and the image that you posted with him and Phil Silvers and Rita Hayworth in CoverGirl. And yeah, I love that because of what you talked about, about him being surrounded by the best, only making him look better. It was not about him, but making everyone around him shine. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, that's one of the things that uh, I think the underlying thing is to kind of begin to dispel some of the mythology about Gene and his life and career, because as I said, there there's so much out there in print that just doesn't fit with him at all. And one of the things that you will read is that he would delete scenes from other people because he felt that threatened by them and that they might take away from his his star power and that is just so not gene and he really believed that if you surrounded yourself by it the best it only serves to elevate you and your own work and so he would what he did is he choreographed for the people with him so that they would look their best instead of trying to choreograph something that would undermine uh, someone who was with him. For, for example, someone like a Debbie Reynolds, who is not a dancer, he would choreograph it so she looks terrific. And same with Frank Sinatra. I mean, it's a very different type of choreography, but it makes it makes the partner shine, and I think if, and as a great example is the one that you just mentioned, which is the duet with Olivia Newton-John in Xanadu. Here you have Olivia, who's just a, this lovely, lovely person, but she wasn't a dancer, and so Jean choreographed that sequence to make her look um, just great. And it's a beautiful. I love the way you described it as graceful, because sometimes. I will hear Gene described as athletic and not graceful, and and I don't I don't see that at all. I think he's a tr- uh, terrifically graceful, and it's interesting that sequence you describe was not in the film originally. You may have read that that they had shot the entire film, and <laughs> they put it into a preview with an audience, and the audience said, "Where's the number with Gene and Olivia?" And they hadn't 
done that. And so they came to Gene after to see if he would come on, come back and do a, a number with her. And he was he was not particularly happy with the way things had gone. He loved her, but he he was a child of the Depression. And I think what was very troubling for him about the movie was the great expenditure of money, kind of a waste of money. If people came to the set without a script in hand, without being prepared, those are things that he just was simply not accustomed to. And so, but finally he ended up, he said, I'll come back, but I'll come back on one condition. And that was that it was a closed set. Then the director and the producer could not be present. So it was, Gene said, I, the cinematographer, the ca- camera operator, and Olivia could would be there. So Gene choreographed that and shot that. But that's partly why that looks so distinct. It's it's a completely separate separate piece. But I love it. And if you watch it again, it it's one of the hardest things for me to watch because that's exactly the way Gene looked when I met him. And so when he stands and gets out of the chair in that sequence, he had just such grace in his movement and the way he walks, he almost floats across the floor. And that's literally the way he moved. And he had that, he did have that twinkle in his eye and that smile that's, that, you know, just goes on forever. Those were all very real. And those are things that you see in that particular sequence. And all those qualities you described, that's what was enchanting to you when you first met. I remember you describing in, in uh, one of the articles that you were enchanted by him. I love that word. I thought, oh my gosh, it's, I'm not surprised that she was enchanted by him because he has this effortless ease about him and the way he dance and dances and the, what I've seen, the way he carries himself. And, and it's so evident, even in the images, I thought, oh my gosh, just it, it exudes from him, you know? It does, and I think too the uh, one thing that I really liked, and, and again, as you said, since I didn't know who he was, I, I, I fell in love with his language and the way he spoke. I loved his voice. I loved that it, it was such a unique voice, that kind of raspy quality, and it was a very unpretentious uh, knowledge. You know, he. A lot of times you'll be with people and they are obviously trying to put on airs. They're trying to let you know how much they know. Yes. And that was not Gene at all. He just he just delighted in uh, different sounds of words and different languages. I mean, he spoke French, he spoke Italian, he spoke Yiddish, and he would throw in a Latin phrase or a Yiddish phrase or a French phrase but it it wasn't to to show off it was because it fit and it was appropriate and it was fun it was delightful and and it was just this wonderful mix and and what well, yes enchanting <laughs> yes i love that now what word games did you two play a lot cuz I, I i saw that that was mentioned as well that you played word games quite a bit he was he was very good at word games, and uh, I I was not as good at, at those. He could craft things, and I one of the things that we did, and we did together, w- was we would do the crossword puzzles. So we would do the crossword puzzle, New York Times, and I would sit next to him on the couch, and uh, I still have those in the archives, but uh, he would sit there and write in the answers, and 
I was very good at getting the kind of long uh, things that didn't require all of the knowledge, worldly knowledge, but they were kind of the the funny little twists that they would throw into the crosswords. Gene actually was the guy who knew all of the <laughs> the factual things. So it was a great combination. We had so much fun doing it. And and the minute that Sunday times arrived, then we would we would go upstairs and, and start to do that. And it, it's interesting in that I've never been able to go back to do that. I, I, I can't... Um, I can't go back and do a crossword. It it just uh, it that teamwork is gone now, and it uh, isn't something that I want to go back to. It just has too many memories with it. And when I see his handwriting, which was so unique uh, on those pages, it's it's tricky because it just brings back so many memories and everything. Do you feel that way also about the places you've been to, like you? To used to uh, used to have the date nights at Spago restaurant, right? Do you find that you get the same kind of feelings? Like, do you not go there because of that as well? Uh, absolutely. It was interesting because we went to the Spago up on Sunset Boulevard, and after he died, I I could not go back to that one, but I go to the new one, and so it there's a continuation in the continuity of the friends and Wolfgang Puck, obviously, and someone Jean really adored and uh but the place it, it would be really tricky to go back to that place and so and the Bel Air Hotel was very special for us. We had our honeymoon there and <clears throat> so that was that was tricky but now it's been remodeled a bit and so it doesn't have quite the same same thing as, as it had before. Although walking across the bridge and seeing the swans in the pond um it that does bring back a lot, but it's a, it's an interesting thing about memory and loss and grief, and that that it's a positive thing that you have these memories and recollections that are so powerful, and yet they do pack a punch. It's kind of a dual dual thing. So I I, I I'm glad that all of those feelings and thoughts are there, but um, sometimes sometimes, as I say, they can be a bit tricky. Do you find that or have you experienced that in your show? Has it been difficult to go back to some of that stuff as you're performing, as you're talking on stage? Well, it's uh, people always ask me. I greet people before the show and I stay after to greet people. And, and the show is very, very personal and very emotional at points. And uh, people say, how can you do this? And particularly, um, how could you do it twice in one day? And uh, the thing is that it it is so enriching for me. Uh, and the, again, it's this connection, the connection with the audience and the connection with the people before and after the show. I, I always say it's not really a show. It's, it's more of an experience. And so it begins once you enter the door to the theater uh, and we have a chance to shake hands and say hello that there's something very special that happens uh, in the in the show itself in the audience a sense of communal laughter and their communal tears and uh, so it's a very alive feeling in the room and so for me it's um, 
it helped me to begin to deal with the loss of him, uh, to have those connections with people and that very intimate exchange. So it's it's actually been a been a plus, even though th- th- it, there's some there's some very powerful moments in it that I think everybody feels, especially when you begin to hear his voice. And he used to sing to me at night. That was how he would convey some of the most intimate parts of his life. He would often revert to song lyrics and songs. And when you hear his voice, and uh, it it's, it's a pretty power, powerful thing uh, for for me and for the audience. So, uh, but I think I think that's what we're on the planet for is to have those kinds of experiences. Oh, I agree with that. And as you're talking more about this, and since our conversation a couple of days ago, I'm getting more and more excited about going. So I'm so looking forward to it. So one of the other posts on a, on a little bit of a lighter note, um, he was definitely ahead of his time. And I think that's another misconception that people don't know. Like you said, the breadth and the depth of his knowledge. And he was into popular music and following trends. And there was a post with him and a couple of breakdancers when breaking was starting to get popular in New York City. Did you ever find out who those dancers were in that picture? I did. I did find out a few of them. And uh, it's funny, somebody, somebody said once that Gene um, would never have uh, appreciated there there was a, a commercial that uh, I I allowed people to use Jean's image for a Volkswagen commercial that was done in the UK and it involved body poppers and hip hop dancers and interestingly it took several of them to really kind of do what Jean was doing and singing in the rain and what what it, the way that the commercial runs is that it starts out as Gene in the famous Singing in the Rain number, and then he's replaced by body poppers and these hip-hop dancers who who start doing all of these different moves and then ultimately flip in front of the car and land. And uh, I got some criticism for that and people saying that Gene would never have accepted that and Gene would never have... Uh, really appreciated um, someone body popping and and hip hop dancing, and I said, well, m- maybe just take a look at the opening of that dancing when he is there with the the break dancers, and he's saying, if I were younger, that's what I would be doing right now. So, I think that uh, sometimes people don't don't see him as you're describing. They don't see him as so far ahead of his time, and that he really. He loved all forms of movement and was constantly looking at new trends. And one thing that he noticed was that very often people would say, oh, this body popping and breakdancing, this is all new new stuff. And Gene would know the history of the dance and know that, no, it actually had origins before that, but it was young people taking it to a different dimension. I think that's incredible. and. Oh my gosh, that just to think about what he would do with something like that is just mind boggling. Like I can't even imagine just based on what you've told me about him. I and learning more and more. It's just it's I feel like there's such history that needs to be honored. And we talked a little bit about this a couple days ago where, you know, younger people don't know what has happened and what has had to happen to bring dance to the forefront the way it is and how much history there is behind it. And 
Gene Kelly being a huge part of that. So I uh, want to segue into a question that I would love for you to answer from your perspective and what you think his perspective would be. And I call it the dancepreneuring quick step. And there's three quick questions. And so first, I would like to know how you would answer this. Are you ready, Patricia? Sure. Okay. So the first one is dance style that you haven't tried, but you might like to and why? Oh, classical ballet. Although I, <laughs> I did. And people will hear this in the show. I did uh, go to ballet class as a young child, and (laughs) it's a complete failure at that. Uh, But I would love to go back and do the bar. And uh, I always admired Sid Charisse, that she continued Mm -hmm. to do the ballet bar into her very late years. And so there's a part of me that would really like to go back and and do that and, and study a little more intensely than I did when I was a little girl. Second question, I'm sure I know what this answer is going to be, but your favorite dancer or choreographer and why? Ah, well, (laughs) yes, I am biased. um, But I happen to think what I love about Gene is that he broke new ground, that he, instead of just kind of continuing a tradition of, say, ballroom dancing on polished floors, he said, you know, I want to create a particularly American style of dance and he wanted something that would uh would would tell a story use movement to propel the plot and so i think uh, and and then taking looking at how does the american male move and trying to find uh, uh steps that would work for that and represent that and looking at his the things that he loved as a, a boy growing up in pittsburgh he loved baseball and hockey and all forms of basically all forms of movement and those are incorporated in the choreography that you see and a blend with classical ballet and any other types of dance so yeah I'm a little biased on that one, <laughs> of course and rightly so hands <laughs> out you just don't I I always say that you know you have people like to me you have people like a Frank Sinatra you have a Judy Garland you have a Gene Kelly I, I think they're like comets I think that they come by once in a lifetime and you don't see them they don't come and pass again you know that he he just really shot through and and changed the way things were and what you see is a lot of people adapting and taking his steps which is what he wanted uh, you know people like Mandy Moore the choreographer for La La Land and great dancers and choreographers like Travis Wall and all of these people who are deeply influenced by him, um, uh, they're carrying on the tradition, but then again, they're doing, they're not mimicking it. It's not identical, but they've taken portions of it and are are going forward. And that's what would make him really proud. I think the huge thing with him is that he was so invested in so many other areas that added to him as a person and in his work with the breadth and depth of his knowledge that we talked about. And I think that was just that part makes is just adds to how special he was. You obviously experiencing that firsthand and of course being enchanted by him as a person and an artist. I, I feel like a lot of artists don't allow themselves to get completely invested in the process. They're very much about not necessarily mimicking the movement, but they, if they can kind of, 
adapt something and take from here and take from here there, but not completely be immersed in it. You know, it's, it's a different, different mindset, I think, sometimes, a lot of times with artists. Well, and I think, you know, it's interesting with somebody like Gene, a lot of people don't realize that he was the first person to create a ballet to jazz music for the Paris Opera Ballet in 1960. And uh, it just rocked the house. I mean, no one had ever done uh, a ballet to Gershwin music there. And it, it did, again, broke new ground. He also created a circus show uh, called Clown Around. Uh, and it was a precursor of things like Cirque du Soleil. And again, people don't really know about that. And this, he just, his mind just went about a hundred miles an hour to constantly uh, day and night. It just, it, it, it just was very hard for him to shut down that creative streak. He was just constantly thinking of new things. Yes. <laughs> it sounds like I can only imagine. Oh my goodness. So the last question um, for you, and then we'll go back to, to see how you think he might answer it. The dance style that currently describes your day right now and why? <laughs> uh, I, my first thought was tango. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, then, and then jitterbug came up. Uh, <laughs> You know, I just see, I feel like I'm, I'm, I feel like both of those, I'm kind of enmeshed in, in a very intense tango half of the time. And I'm, uh, and then half of the time I feel like I'm, I'm just in, in, in constant motion. And, <laughs> um, so I, I suppose with those, yeah. Oh, gosh, I don't think I've had anyone say anything about jitterbug or tangle. So I think you're the first one. So that's funny. So if he were to answer these questions, what dance style do you think that he would have liked to try? And why? Although he's done a lot of stuff. So is there something he hasn't tried that he might have liked? Well, I I think uh, it would go back to what I was saying that by the time that the break dancing had really come to the fore, Gene was at a point in his life where that was something that he he really could not do personally, but uh, appreciated the movement and everything. So, uh, as he says in the in that's dancing, that if he were younger, he would do that. So I think. I think that uh, things like that and Michael Jackson, he obviously had great admiration for Michael Jackson. He just thought he was extraordinary and and hoped that Michael would keep, again, breaking new ground and not not get um, repetitive. He wanted him to just keep keep pressing forward. So I think he appreciated those, those. different styles and and again those are if you look at everything it's has a lot of gene kelly in yes. in that movement who was his favorite dancer or choreographer uh he he had different that would be a, a very hard one um to say because he had different people he admired I mean, he had so many dancers he admired and that was one of the things one of the reasons he created Invitation to the Dance, the movie that came out, ended up coming out in 1956. He actually created it earlier, and MGM didn't quite know what to do with it, so they held it. 
But it's hard now when you turn on the television and you see so much dance around the world. It's, it, it's, there, there's so many different shows available to people. But back then, for people to be able to see the great dancers of the world, you had to travel to New York or Paris or uh, to cities in Russia, and it, it wasn't available uh, to everyone. And so Jean, Jean felt this responsibility to create a kind of homage to the dancers around the world and make that available to people around the world. And his idea for the movie was really that it would be something that was basically for art houses and college campuses just to educate people. And that was not something that MGM really saw. But when you have the the prima ballerina of the Paris Opera, Claude Bessy, um, and you have um, you have different uh, Yuskevich and uh, Claire Sombert in that, uh, Diana Adams, um, Tommy Rall. You have a, a, a breadth that you see just in that movie. And then uh, the dancer Noble, um, Eric Brune, he thought was really sublime. And um, just so many he respected. And, and he, what he did is that he was... He traveled the world, so he he knew the best in each in each country and the style in each country, and um, so and the work of Fokine and um, uh, he wanted. There was a point actually that he was going to play Nijinsky, and that just uh, sadly never came to fruition. But I have the materials here in the archives that he was uh, working on that and had hoped to do that project. So. Um, it's. We went to dinner with Nuriev and Barishnikov. Um, obviously, had great respect for them. For Gregory Hines, he thought Gregory Hines was just an extraordinary dancer and and gentleman as well. Wow, that's wow. That project would have been amazing. <laughs> that would have been yeah. incredible. So, with the days that you spent together, what would be the dance style that would that he would describe with the days that you spent together? How would he be feeling? What would describe that? Well, it's probably, um, it would be the kind of romantic ballroom dancing, I think, of uh, what he described as the importance of ballroom dancing because that was a form of courtship. That was the way in his day that you could actually put your arm around a girl and hold her close. And so, he he was a true romantic and and that that feeling never never left him really that that was a very special thing and the dancing to the american popular song that he loved uh smoke it in your eyes and uh, all the different cole porter gershwin uh, rogers and hart those songs that that he just dearly loved so i think it would be it would be that a kind of very romantic form of dance. I could definitely see that. And I'm getting goosebumps just hearing you talk about this. Oh, my goodness. I think every man needs to aspire to be like Gene Kelly. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, as I say, I kind of think they made one and broke the mold. Uh, I, I, I think that there are people that have many of the qualities that you'll find people that will have 
they'll be experts in one area. They'll be, uh, they, they might be a great dancer, tap dancer. They might be a great ballet dancer. They might be a great historian. They might be a great economist. But to have all of that kind of rolled into one, I, boy, I don't, I don't see that coming down the pike very often. Um, it's, yeah, what a combination. Just, oh, oh my gosh. So we are at the end of our conversation. Sadly for me, I could seriously listen to you talk about this stuff forever, Patricia. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I want to put a plug out for her sold out show. It's sold out all over the place. And uh, I believe there's tickets available now for this particular one coming up October 6th, this Saturday in the Los Angeles area, actually Torrance, which is part of Los Angeles, at the Torrance Cultural Arts Center at 2 p.m. and 8 p.m. You can go to torrancearts.com org forward slash gene dash kelly dash legacy if you just go to torrentsarts.org it's right there you can see it i'm going to link all of this information in the show notes patricia this has been such an honor and such a pleasure to have this conversation i've learned so much and it just makes me want to learn so much more about gene kelly thank you so much well thank you and i'll look forward to seeing you at the show it is it is a, a personal experience and i think you'll you will learn a couple more things about him Oh, I know I will. And I'm so looking forward to meeting you as well. Likewise. Thank you again. Thank you so much for joining me on this session. Remember that you are valuable, your dreams are important, and it's never too late to be great. Thank you for listening. This has been a session of the Dancepreneuring Studio. Find the archives of this show at annettebone.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Contact Annette at annettebone.com. This podcast copyright by annettebone.com and dancepreneuring.com. All rights reserved. The Dancepreneuring Studio is the place where dance inspires life and business.